This is Vitriol Plays, one of the producers of Once Upon a Wasteland and the voice of Odessa Valdez in the show. I'd like to take a moment before we start the episode to let you know about our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash onceuponawasteland. It's a great way to support the show and to get some perks, including behind-the-scenes content, access to our private Discord server, and exclusive merchandise. Now, let's find out what Beth and Odessa are up to in this episode. Thank you for listening. Once upon a time, 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people, a vault dweller and a California girl. They met and sparks flew. That's when things got interesting. This is their story. Once Upon a Wasteland, Season 3, Episode 3, Whence Twofold Grief. Good morning. How are you feeling? Better, Sylvia. Thank you. Can't really say I'm feeling myself, since I still don't know who I am. But... I'll take better. It's a good start. Oh, and speaking of good starts, have you had breakfast? I haven't. I still don't know my way around and found myself here. Started reading and, well, kind of forgot about food for a bit. (laughs) The library is an easy place to lose yourself. I should know. Oh? Well, this place has always been kind of a refuge for me. Being a Corbin is great, it really is, but it comes with a lot of pressure. From the time I was little, when everything felt overwhelming, I ended up in here, and I had five centuries of stories to keep me company. I didn't even know where to start, I just sort of picked a book. Or maybe the book picked you. (laughs) Perhaps it did. I'm not sure what I was expecting, but it wasn't this. What do you mean? I think I prepared myself for something a bit... drier? More, um... clinical? No, that's not it. Academic! Ah, yes. Well, there are a few sections where you'll find that sort of thing. I mean, mostly the really old stuff, if that's what you're looking for. It is very much not. (laughs) Good. Our tradition is storytelling, and that's how our history's been written and sung. Much better than dusty old academic texts, in my opinion. Wait, did you say sung? Oh, you haven't gotten to the songs yet? Oh, you are in for a treat. Are you alright? This is... It's all a bit overwhelming. I'm sorry. No, I'm the one who should be sorry. You're still getting your bearings, and I'm prattling on about my family's bardic tradition. No, this helps. It really does. Just getting any sort of context. Even if it doesn't necessarily get me closer to remembering who I am. I know this room better than anyone besides my mother. I can help, if you'd like. I'd love that. Good. I mean, if we're going to be pretend cousins, we should start acting like it, right? (laughs) I did want to ask you about something. A joke you made. Well, I think it was a joke. You asked if I was, um... Is she? Ah, yes. Now that's the sort of thing that you'll find in the archives. You said they were supernatural and had powers. Are they real or just a legend? Um, to answer your last question first, nobody knows if they're real. I mean, somebody was clearly here before us. Corbenic in the town itself didn't just spring forth from the earth, poetic though that may sound. So, where did the legends come from? 
whoever built this place, is she or not, wasn't quite as uh, thorough in their record keeping as we are. But there were some texts. The problem was that nobody could read most of them. That must have been frustrating. Oh, it was. Jack Corbin's notes on that process are fascinating. His writing is pretty clinical, to borrow your word, but you can see the frustration seeping through at times. Fortunately, there were also some texts they could read. And since the Black Halls had experience translating ancient texts, well... Where are those translations? If I remind you of the Aoshi, might as well find out if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a good thing. Trust me. But the translations aren't here. The Black Halls have them. Oh. And I take it from your tone that there's some tension there? <laughs> you could say that. There were three families that stepped up and rose to prominence when our ancestors first settled here. The Corbins were leaders and organizers, and the Pandolfis were artists and storytellers. But the Black Halls? They were something... different. You mentioned... encountering one while you're out exploring. Ha, ah, yes. Eric. Is he dangerous? <laughs> Eric? Dangerous? Uh, no, don't let the spooky robes fool you. He's harmless. His father, though. Well, you do well to keep an eye on him. I believe that your mother was paying him a visit this morning. Yes, certainly don't envy her there. Eric, uh, I can deal with. Elias, well, I can deal with him as well, but I prefer to avoid it wherever possible. I'm sorry to have put her in that position. Oh, don't think like that. Unfortunately, dealing with Elias Blackhall is unavoidable when you're head of the Corbin family. I mean, my father didn't like it either, but he just sort of hitched up his pants and did it. Just like Mom. Thank you. The last thing I want is to be a burden. You've been so kind and so generous already. And I'm going to repay it. I promise. In any case, I'll do my best to save you a trip to the Black Hall Archive. It's so creepy down there. Most of what we know, well, know-ish, I suppose, about Graltzberg comes from a single text. It revolves around the story of five groups that settled here and left for various reasons. The ASGR, are, at least according to the legend, descendants of the fifth. Do you believe in them? I don't know. That's a thing about legends. Figuring out what basis they have in fact, if any, well, that's the difficult part. They could be fables, metaphors, parables. Or they could be sober retellings of historical fact. We just don't know. Well, like you said, this castle and town didn't come from nowhere. Somebody lived here before you did. Whether they're the people in the legends or not. Why did you joke about me being one of them? <laughs> well, they're described in the book as tall, strikingly beautiful, elegant, often with red hair... So you were being cheeky. <laughs> he was. <laughs> well, I can't say for certain, but as far as I can tell, I'm just an ordinary person. <laughs> I doubt that. Well, I do have this bracer attached to my arm. That's not what I meant. There's something about you. I can't quite put my finger on it, but I'll figure it out. Oh, if my brother were here, he'd say I sound more like a Black Hall than a Corbin or a Pandolfi, but... I believe everything happens for a reason. And you showing up on our doorstep is no exception. I hope you're alright. I don't know what led me to being here, but I hope it wasn't just random chance. If it is... If it is... It feels a lot less likely I'll figure out who I am and get back home. Wherever home may be. We'll do everything we can to help make that happen. And until it does, this is your home. And we're your family. In any case, you look like you could use some fresh air. Would you like to go for a walk? 
What is it? Your face. Did you remember something? No. Well, not exactly. When you asked about going for a walk, it triggered something. Not a memory exactly, more of a feeling. A good feeling? Yes. I... I can't even put words to it. Don't push yourself too hard. This is a good sign, I think, so let's take it as a win. (sighs) Okay. I could use a break. Do you think you could help me find breakfast? Of course. Corbenik's got the best kitchens in all of Grautsburg. We'll find something you like. Thank you, and latent memory or not, I do think a walk might do me good. This is all fascinating, but you're right. I do need some fresh air. And there's something about the air here. It seems fresher than anything I've breathed before. Which doesn't make any sense given that I can't actually remember having breathed before I woke up here, but here we are. It may not make sense now, but I'm fully confident that it will eventually. Let's get some breakfast, then we'll find you some walking boots and something more outdoorsy to wear. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, Sylvia. I couldn't have hoped for a better pretend cousin. (laughs) Thank you, Isabel. This is unexpected. To what do I owe the, um... Pleasure is the word you're looking for, Elias. Of course. Do come in. Please, have a seat. Uh, Can I get you anything? No, I won't be staying long, but thank you. There's something we need to discuss, and I wanted you to hear it from me directly. Oh, dear. Is it about Eric? Why would it be about Eric? No reason. Elias? He mentioned that he ran into your daughter yesterday. Yes, he did. But as far as I know, nothing happened that would merit a conversation between the two of us. If there was, she didn't mention it to me, and she would have. Good. For what it's worth, the only thing of note that he mentioned to me was that she was... Whisked away by some of the sheriff's men. He was concerned. Concerned? (laughs) Well, I can assure you that my daughter is fine and your son has no reason to be concerned about her. I understand. So then, what do we need to discuss? Have you been working on the Song of the Sixth? (sighs) Not as much as I should be. It's been difficult. Of that I have no doubt. I know that the people are growing restless. It's the longest they've gone without so much as a new quatrain in centuries. The people understand. Restless though they may be, the song will come. In its own time. Thank you. Considering what's just happened, well, I have a feeling that I'm going to have a lot of inspiration to work with. Perhaps too much. Oh? Now I'm intrigued. We have a guest at Corbinic. All right. That isn't particularly out of the ordinary. I'm getting to the out of the ordinary part. Look, this situation is fluid, and right now there's a lot more that we don't know than we do. It's important that we're working from the same sheet of music here. This is a big deal, and if we don't control the narrative, well, I don't like turmoil. Nor do I. It's the kind of thing that can interfere with both our aims. So, what do we know? Using we already. That's a good sign. (laughs) The same sheet of music, remember? Let's see if I can still carry a tune. Could you ever? I think I've only ever heard you chant. (laughs) Fair enough. Yesterday, two deputies found a young woman, unconscious. Oh dear. Is she all right? Was she attacked? 
She's recovering at Kolbinik, and no, so far as we know, there was no attack or any sort of foul play. They found her next to the veil. Next to the veil? Oh, now that is intriguing. It's been silent for more than 500 years. This could portend- Calm down! I knew you'd jump right to Omen's importance. Hell, I'm surprised you didn't run into the archive before I finished my sentence. You can speculate and search for relevant prophecies all you want later, okay? Uh, Of course, please, go on. She didn't seem to be injured, but she does have some sort of amnesia. Didn't remember a thing, the poor dear. Who she is, how she got there, not even her name. That's unfortunate. Uh, Perhaps the amnesia will prove to be temporary. Something caused by... proximity to the veil, perhaps? Sorry, speculating again. Our working theory is that she came through the veil. Before you ask, we don't know how that's possible. But it's the most plausible option, at least for now. But there's one other piece of evidence that's pointing us toward that conclusion as well. And that is? She's wearing what we're reasonably certain is the other bracer of paradeer. That's impossible. Oh, I'm deeply surprised to hear you of all people using that word. You're right. I... I just... This is not something I expected. There is nothing even hinting at something like this in the texts. At least not something I recall. There has to be something. Does there? Not everything is foretold. Our families have been having this argument for 500 years, and you still can't accept that. I could argue the same about you. You are acutely aware of tradition, yet refuse to entertain the possibilities offered by any tradition other than your own. That is not fair, and you know it. Don't tell me what I know. We can fight later. This is too important to relitigate old squabbles. All right. Well, she may not know who she is, but you must. You know everyone in Grosberg. (sighs) I do. And I've never seen her before in my life. Oh. So she's not just a guest. She's a guest from out of town. I see. Well, I, I don't entirely, but I have full confidence that I will. We will. And you're reasonably certain that she's wearing the actual other bracer? Yes. The designs aren't identical, but they go together, if that makes sense. I'll defer to your artist's eye on that. And it reacted to Adrian's when they were in the same room. Nothing focused, just some tingling. Still, that certainly supports the theory that it's the real thing. Adrian has worn his bracer for five years, and I'm sure that his father prepared him well. His relationship to the land demonstrates that quite clearly. This woman, though... Even if she did know what it can do and how to control it, she wouldn't remember any of it. And we don't even know if it has the same powers as Adrian's. All we really know is that it's attached to her, and it's not coming off. Unless... Don't. Just don't. I need you to understand, Elias. She is under our protection. And we're building out a backstory that reflects that. Oh? She found a note when she was changing her clothes, made out to Isabel. She doesn't know if it was written to her, but in the absence of anything else to go on, well, if nothing else, it's a nice name. Was there a surname on that note? No, and that gave me an idea. I decided to make her a Pandolfi. An honorary one, I suppose, but a Pandolfi nonetheless. As far as anyone knows, she was off exploring the lands beyond and who's finally returned home. Clever. Thank you. I was hoping you'd approve. You'll also be able to use that to explain why she has the bracer, given how close the Corbin and Pandolfi families have been throughout our history. It's not a stretch that a long-lost Pandolfi might be in possession of the one that's been missing. That was my thought as well. It seems logical that the Bracer, or perhaps some combination of the Bracer and her trip through the Veil, is what caused her amnesia. Could be a coincidence, or at least unrelated, though. What else? That's not enough! (laughs) It is. 
but I feel as though you have a bit more to tell me. She's unlike anyone I've ever encountered before. In what way? In every way. She's tall, almost as tall as Adrian. She's beautiful. Quite on brand for a Pandolfi. Yes, <laughs> I suppose you're right. She has an accent I've never heard before. And she's elegant, but still a bit awkward, like... Like a princess on ice skates for the first time. <laughs> That's quite the visual. So, when can I meet her? Who said you're going to meet her? You didn't just come here to tell me to keep my distance and to ensure I go along with the cover story you've created. You need my help. <sighs> I suppose I do. All right, you can meet with her, but let's give her a few days to get her bearings. She's clearly been through a lot, even if she doesn't remember any of it. That's reasonable. In the interim, Eric and I will search the archives to see if there's anything that might shed some light on this situation. Even if it's not directly foretold, we may be at least able to find some context. Please send word if you discover anything. Of course. And I trust you'll do the same? <sighs> we both know that secrets, well, sometimes it's necessary to keep them. Hell, Grotzberg is practically built on them. But this is not one of those times. My immediate concern is that the presence of the other Bracer could upset the... order that we've worked so hard to build. We can avoid that if we work together, and if we're honest with each other. Agreed. What is it? It's nothing. It's not nothing. I know that look. I was just thinking that the other Bracer might... Stir up activity from some old friends. The Vale Wraiths. Yes, I know it's been centuries, but that may simply be because the Vale has remained dormant. If our new arrival did indeed come through the Vale, well... That might give them a reason to emerge from wherever the hell they've been hiding. That's the last thing we'd need. I thought we'd successfully consigned them to legend. And perhaps we have. It's just a thought. No, it's a good one. Better safe than sorry. I'll talk to Sheriff Stone on my way back to Kolbenig. He's fully aware of the situation, so we can discuss things frankly. Thank you, Elias. Thank you, Louisa. We'll talk again soon. Ah, uh, Odessa, please, come in. We're just about to get started. I'm sorry I'm late, Paladin. Casey caught me in the hallway and, well... <laughs> I understand. Jess was about to brief me on the progress she's made on getting our new comms infrastructure up and running. I wish Beth had been able to help with that. Not that I expect the Syndicate to rifle through our things, but taking that kind of equipment with her just wasn't worth the risk. Of course. It could lead to some uncomfortable questions, and it wasn't worth jeopardizing her mission. We'll have plenty of opportunities to test. I do have good news, though. You do? About Beth? Yes. Knight Carlson, with the help of Scribe Navia's optimized communications array, was able to pick up some chatter. What kind of chatter? Two of the people that Beth met with reported back to their subordinates within hours after that meeting took place. Greg can give you a full briefing if you'd like, but the long and the short of it is that the meeting appears to have gone well. Very well, in fact. That's excellent news. As good an operative as Beth is. You worry about her. Yes. And Craig told us that Victor Scarlatti is as perceptive as anyone he's ever dealt with. He doesn't scare easily, but we could tell he was concerned. If Victor sniffed out his deception, well, he didn't want to talk about the potential consequences. Scarlatti was very impressed with Beth. He indicated that Isabel more than lived up to the reputation that we built for her. That's a relief. I was concerned we might be overdoing it, but Isabel had to have an impressive resume just to get into that room. If I've learned one thing about Beth over the years, it's that she has a knack for exceeding expectations, no matter how high those expectations are. It's a pity we don't have someone who might be able to talk her into joining the Brotherhood full-time. <laughs> I don't think anyone could talk her into joining the Brotherhood or any other faction. 
independence is too important to her to operate in any way other than unaffiliated. Well, we do get to work with her a lot, and I'm grateful for that. As am I. <laughs> On an unrelated note, we've also made significant progress in North Carolina. How's Charles doing down there? Very well. He's been working closely with a faction known as the Omaha Street Citizens. They've done some truly impressive work in rebuilding the city. So, kind of like Foundation? Kind of, yes. Durham didn't have a strong raider presence to deal with like Appalachia did, not to mention the Scorched, so their growth was able to start off more strongly than it did here. And that growth has only become stronger. They've already unified several smaller factions under their banner. It's important that we build trust with them as rapidly as we can. If we don't... Then someone else might step in. And that someone might not have goals as noble as the Brotherhood's. Precisely. This is a golden opportunity for us and a mutually beneficial one. I plan to take advantage of it. That region has a wealth of scientific value. Three prestigious research universities and a very large corporate science and research presence as well. And not far from several military installations, although what we'll find there is anybody's guess. But that's a problem for another day. I know this is a bit outside my lane, but... What is it? One of the things that Derek seemed to talk about constantly when he was here, well, when he wasn't talking about us, at least, he said that one of the biggest challenges they faced wasn't raiders or super mutants, it was resources. People, specifically. Yes. We've grown so much here. More than I ever hoped we could. We've grown from three people to dozens in just a couple of years. When Elder Maxon reads that part of Derek's report, I think he'll be impressed, if not a little jealous. I feel like there's a but coming. But are we ready for a move like this? A new chapter, 250 miles away? Even with improved logistics. It's a big move, I concur. And we haven't made any firm decisions on how to proceed, or whether to proceed yet. I plan to consult with my senior staff as well as external subject matter experts every step of the way. But no matter what, I fully expect a formal alliance between the Brotherhood and the citizens. What do you think, Jess? Uh, me? Yes, you. You've been as close to this as anyone, and you've probably spoken with Charles more than anyone. I've had enough conversations with him that I seriously doubt that yours were just about signal strength and frequency dynamics. Well, no. So? What do you think? There's so much going on here in Appalachia. Every time something gets resolved, something new pops up. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? We ended the Scorched Plague. We thought we'd be able to take a little break, but then the Morning Star showed up. And then we had to fend off an interdimensional invasion. Now it's a criminal syndicate who's getting ready to make some kind of big move to seize power in Appalachia. It never stops. So you think we should concentrate on keeping things safe here in Appalachia rather than trying to expand? No, I'm saying the opposite. Go on. There's always going to be a new crisis, a new threat, whether it's small or existential. And sure, we can keep our focus squarely here in Appalachia, but if we do that, well... I, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice if we don't pursue this. I'm so proud of who we are and all we've done, and I'm excited to be part of everything we're going to do. I just... I... I just want to make sure we're not... holding ourselves back. Unnecessarily. I guess. I I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't be sorry. It's okay to be excited. Scribe Valdez herself may have had a tendency toward expressing her enthusiasm for her work. Earlier in her career, of course. <laughs> of course. Don't tell anyone. I have a reputation to uphold. <laughs> Your secret's safe with me. I guess the way I look at it, if the Brotherhood had kept its focus exclusively inward back at Lost Hills, well, there would be no Appalachian Brotherhood, and who knows where I'd be right now. I'd like to see more people get the kind of chance I had. 
And maybe I can help them the way you've helped me. I'm sorry. I asked Grid Atherton to keep an eye on comms and ping me if Charles reached out. It's fine, Jess. Go. I'll expect a full briefing on the current situation on the ground in Durham. Have it ready by 1900 hours. Yes, ma'am. And give him my regards. I'm looking forward to catching up when we have a minute. I will. If I'd closed my eyes during your conversation, I might have thought Haley Takana was here. She always knew how to give you just the right push. I did learn from the best. I'm just so proud of her. She's really come into her own. I was just telling Jess, I finally feel like I can take a break without everything falling apart. We're not completely lost without you. Just mostly. <laughs> you know what I mean. I see a lot of you in her, just like I see a lot of Scribe Takano in you. You know, neither of us are old enough to frame things this way, but the future of the Brotherhood is in good hands. Creating something sustainable was always my goal. There were times I wasn't sure we'd be able to achieve it, but, well, now here we are. Losing Knight Banks was a blow. He seemed like an ideal candidate to be the first person we promoted to Paladin. I understand why he left, but... It certainly was difficult. It hurt. I know you two were close. He used to call me the sister he never wanted. <laughs> that sounds like him. When we first arrived here, I was overwhelmed with everything. Between all the work we had to do and still navigating what my life was going to look like after Derek, on the opposite side of the country, it was nice to have somebody to keep me sane. He never let me take myself too seriously. I didn't realize how important that was before that. And he helped keep your... Admirers at bay, too. <laughs> he did. That was probably the most big brotherly thing he did. I needed it. Most of them were harmless, but it was the last thing I needed to deal with. When he met Beth and gave her his tacit approval, well, it meant a lot that he saw that she was something special, too. I wish he was still here. He'd find a way to take my mind off Beth being away. How are you holding up? I'm okay. Amanda's been a big help. It was always hard when Derek was away on missions, but I think part of the problem was I didn't have a friend quite like her. That's important. And for what it's worth, I think she's been a positive influence on you. Not the kind of thing I ever expected to say about a raider. Don't let her hear you say that. I'm not the only one who has a reputation to uphold. <laughs> her secret is also safe with me. Thank you, Sylvia. That was exactly what I needed. I feel worlds better. Me too. There's a lot out there to explore, and I'm going to see all of it. There's so much to see in Grasberg. I'm surprised you made it outside the town limits. <laughs> My mother would certainly prefer that I hadn't. She started calling me La Petite Volontaire because I kept finding ways to escape Corbenic so I could explore. <laughs> Well, you may not be little anymore, but you certainly do strike me as quite determined. Oh, um, est-ce que vous parlez français? Oui, apparently. Another piece of the puzzle. Oh, at this rate, we'll have you figured out in no time. <laughs> I appreciate your optimism. Thank you. I'm glad. Adrian tells me that it can be a bit much at times. He always tries to be so serious and important about everything. And I understand. I really do. But Dad always left room for the light to shine in, too. Adrian hasn't quite figured out how to do that yet. But I'm going to be an absolutely relentless ray of sunshine. So he really doesn't have a choice. There's something I was wondering. About Adrian, that is. I'm a bit reluctant to ask, though. Well, you have to ask now. Can't leave that kind of thing hanging in the air. I suppose you're right. Is he always that... awkward... around people? Adrian. Oh, definitely not. That was part of what made that whole scene so much fun to watch. <sighs> so it was because of me? Look, 
You have to understand, we're not used to visitors. That alone is going to put anybody on their heels. Even the scion of the Corbin family. Okay, so what else? What do you mean? You said that alone, which implies it's not just that. You're really going to make me say it out loud, aren't you? Say what? Sylvia, you have to understand, literally everything is new to me right now. I don't have a history to fall back on. No experiences. Nothing. Just these vague feelings. Almost ghosts of memories. Why do I speak differently than everyone else here? How do I know that castles tend to have dungeons? When did I learn to speak French? <sighs> I'm sorry. You've been nothing but kind and I shouldn't take my frustration out on you. It's all right. This is new to me too, so I'm going to make some mistakes. But we'll work through this together. And not just you and me, our whole family. Hell, all of Grotzberg is going to be behind you. Thank you. That does make me feel rather better. But I'm not letting you off the hook. Darn it. You're not just new. And you're not just different either. Let me be clear here. You're, um, not my type. So you don't have to worry about anything there. But you are beautiful. The kind of beautiful that launches ships, the, the kind people write poems about, hell, the kind people fight wars over. I know you don't remember, but I'm sure that, locked away somewhere inside that head of yours, you have a lot of experience dealing with reactions to your presence like my brother's. I'm... I see. Well, um, this is a bit awkward, but... If I caught your meaning just now, well, your brother isn't my type. Oh. Oh. That's not the kind of thing you remember. It's something you are. Of course. Well, for what it's worth, I don't know if his reaction was anything beyond meeting a woman who's not only, frankly, preposterously beautiful, but so tall, she can look him square in the eye without heels. <laughs> Here's hoping. But if it is, I love my brother, and I don't want to see him have his heart broken. I'll, um, make sure he understands the situation. Subtly. I won't make a big deal about it. Who knows? Maybe you'll find someone who's your type here in Grotzberg. Remember... I told you earlier that I firmly believe everything happens for a reason. Maybe that's part of why you're here. I do enjoy a good love story. At least if last night's dreams were any indication. That sounds nice. Do you think it might be a memory trying to poke its way through? Mom always says that our dreams can be a window into our souls. Maybe they can be a window into our minds as well. Letting them tell us things they can't while we're awake. Perhaps. Have you ever considered keeping a dream journal? A what? Just a notebook next to your bed so you can write down your dreams while they're still fresh in your mind. Some of my best story ideas have come from mine. You write stories? Of course. My last name may be Corbin, but I'm very much a Pandolfi at heart. I think Adrian got most of the... Um, Corbin-ness. <laughs> what kinds of stories? Oh, all kinds. Adventures, swords and sorcery, a farce now and again. Maybe even the occasional love story. May I read them? Of course. Each storyteller has their own section in the library. Getting one is an important part of growing up as a Pandolfi. I was 14 when I got mine. Mom was kind of a prodigy, though. She was only eight. Eight years old and already writing stories. That's incredible. She's pretty incredible. When Dad died, there could have been a serious power vacuum. I mean, Adrian was too young to really step into that role, bracer or not. But Mom held this town together. 
She's certainly an imposing woman. Try being her daughter. I'll stick to pretending to be her niece, thank you. (laughs) Good call. Joking aside, though, she's been wonderful to me. I'm just some girl who magically appeared on her doorstep and she treated me like family from the get-go. You all have, and I appreciate it. I just hope I'll be able to repay you for the kindness you've shown me. Oh, don't look at it that way. Just be yourself and do the best you can. The rest will come naturally. Here's the way I look at it. You're very much a tabula rasa right now. You're not operating with the burden of whatever it is you've gone through in your life. I mean, I hope that life's been fantastic, but no one can avoid trauma entirely. The you we met yesterday, it's very much the real you. And that real you seems pretty great so far. Thank you. Don't let it go to your head. (laughs) I'll try not to. (laughs) Good. Let's get some lunch, and then I'll give you a proper tour of the library. I'll even show you the best writing nooks. Thank you. I have a feeling I'll be spending a lot of time there. How was your first day back at work? It was nice to get back into the swing of things. How many times did you have to dodge Casey? Oh, I didn't dodge her. We did talk a few times, but she was surprisingly restrained. Probably saving her energy for when Beth gets back. Of course. I'm sure you are too. (laughs) Amanda. You're blushing. Bones? Can I have a drink, please? Anything in particular? Surprise me. No screaming Vikings. Oh, I've been practicing in everything. Your dedication to the craft is always an inspiration. (laughs) Thanks. I'll make you something good. And I promise, I'll keep the cucumbers holstered. Thank you. The grapevine is starting to buzz a little bit about this new player that just burst onto the scene. You did a good job of backstopping, Isabel. Craig did too. Yeah, I'm just starting to worry that maybe we did too good of a job. We kind of had to thread the needle, make her sound impressive enough to be worth Victor's time, but not so impressive that people start wondering why they never heard of her before. The prep work was fun. Yeah, it was. I kind of miss doing that. You're always welcome. Going through all the different scenarios she might encounter seems to work better when there's more than one person to bounce ideas off of. Even if it turns into improv comedy sometimes. That's the best part. A few more missions and I think we can go on the road. Uh, We'll need a name. Hmm. I'll have to think about that. What do you think, Bones? About what? We're forming an improv troupe and we need a name. You're... what? Just go with it. Uh... (laughs) Post-apocalypse? That is terrible. Hey, you put me on the spot. How about... um... Vaud Villains? It's edgy. I kind of like it. Yeah, I think that's been done. The Unpredictables? Eh, still terrible, but it has potential. Put it in your back pocket and we'll keep workshopping. I'm so confused. Well, now you got a new career all lined up if you ever decide to retire from the Brotherhood. (laughs) Um, I think I'll stick with something in the sciences. I'm slightly more comfortable there. Okay, suit yourself, but I think you're a natural. (laughs) I'll take your word for it. Wait. Uh Uh-oh. Science improv. Science improv? Yes, we can entertain and educate. (laughs) You are adorable. Don't patronize me. Okay, okay. How's your drink? 
What did he give you? It's good. I taste cranberry, um, orange, I think. The base is definitely gin. Oof, that's tart. Try it now. That's perfect. It just needed a little bit of sweetness. Don't. <laughs> I love it when you wag your finger at me like that. <laughs> Hi, Cindy. Well, this is a nice surprise. I thought you were jammed up until next week. I was, but I sweet-talked the colonel into letting me take liberty early. You sweet-talked the colonel? Okay, sweet talk might be overselling it. I presented several operationally relevant justifications. That's more like it. <laughs> Whatever it took, I'm glad you're here. I can turn the keys over to Bones here and we can have a girl's night. He's got plenty of drinks and beta testing that we can totally dry. Oh, that sounds great, but... What is it? I thought it would just be us. The two of us. Oh, I wasn't planning on staying long. You two can have the rest of the night to yourselves. I've been going into work early with Beth out of town. I want to make sure I'm caught up for when she gets home. That's just it. She should be home. What are you talking about, babe? We've been keeping track of Beth's movements, monitoring radio chatter. The Colonel told Paladin Romani that she didn't have the manpower to help us with this operation. <sighs> I know, I know. We can talk about that later. Our intel indicated that Beth left town yesterday. I just assumed she came back here. Like, where else would she go? What about today? No sign of her, but if she hopped a vertebrate back to Appalachia, we wouldn't be able to track her. We still can't differentiate between ones you're using and regular traffic. Odessa, are you okay? I am fine. Amanda, pack a bag. You and I are going to Fort Atlas, and we are getting on a vertebrate. Once we land in Cincinnati, I'll be able to track Beth's ring. Cindy? What can I do to help? Go back to the bunker and keep us updated. You have eyes and ears that we don't, and right now, we need them. I don't think the Colonel's gonna go for that. Come up with some operationally relevant justifications. Or sweet talk her. I don't care. Just get it done. I know you can do it. I have faith in you. We'll have our portable comms unit with us, so we'll be able to keep in touch. Okay. On my way. I have a go bag in the back room. I'll go get it. She's fine, kitten. I know it. You told me you missed undercover ops. Well, you won't have to miss them much longer. Once Upon a Wasteland, Season 3, Episode 3, Whence Twofold Grief, was produced and directed by Brad Williams and written by D.K. Trueno. Starring Letitia Lemon as Elizabeth Kirby, Vitriol Plays as Odessa Valdez, and Lucy Middleton as Amanda Otis. Also starring Pandora Beatrix as Paladin Leila Romani, Ash Albiniak as Louisa Corbin, and Marnie Warner as Sylvia Corbin. Featuring... Summer Lynn Rose as scribe Jessica Navia, Maria Cheshire as Cindy Connors, Juniper Berry as Elias Blackhall, and Eric B. Rowland as Bones. Opening narration by Ashley Sacon, I'm Kirsty Harrison. Please join us for our next episode, Season 3, Episode 4, The Wind That Prevails. If you love anime and D&D, check out Warlock. It's the story of me, Nova Ravenwood, a young woman born without magic who forms a pact with a mysterious being for power. Set in a fantasy world of adventure, dragons, and powerful sorcerers, the story unfolds like an anime for your ears. And don't forget about our muscular hunk of a classmate, me, Ren. Too bad this is audio only, otherwise you could see that I'm flexing my arms off over here. Are you seriously interrupting the ad? You moron! Sorry, we'll get out of your way. Wait, 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 hang on. I haven't even told them about my amazing powers. 
I guess I should describe myself a little bit more first. First thing, I don't wear a shirt. Thanks, Briar. Join the quest and listen to Warlock wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit warlockpod.com for more information. I'm Brad Williams, the creator of Once Upon a Wasteland. We'd like to thank you for joining us for the third episode of our third season, and we hope that you'll continue to join us as we follow Beth and Odessa's journey toward Happily Ever After. I'd like to give a shout-out to our patrons over on Patreon, Jessica Burson, Don McCormick, and Vitriol. Thank you all for your support. If you'd like to support the show, you can find details at patreon.com slash onceuponawasteland. For more information on our show, visit our website, onceuponawasteland.com, where you'll find show information, scripts for each episode, artwork, and more. You can also find us on Twitter at onceupon76pod, Blue Sky at onceuponawasteland.com, and on Instagram and threads at onceuponawasteland. If you like this episode, please leave a rating and review, which helps other listeners find us. And we hope you'll subscribe as well. Word of mouth is vitally important, so please, tell your friends. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, you can reach out to us directly on Twitter or via email at brad at onceuponawasteland.com. Thank you. It's the last days of summer, 1920. Do you know where your children are? They should be playing outside. Come on, Chelsea. Mima says we're not allowed to go to this house. We're not even supposed to be on this side of town. Doing their chores. Why aren't these chicken coops clean? Please, Father. I'll be good. I'll be... Ah! Oh, God! Obeying their parents. You look me right in the eyes and tell me you didn't steal this bike. Ma, no! I've been helping Mr. Diamond, all right? Lord, don't tell me my son is working at a speakeasy. Exploring their feelings. Let's go over to the apple tree. Gosh. <laughs> okay. But unfortunately for these young fools, the neighborhood bully has other plans. Tonight, you are going to meet me out in front of the old Barnaker house. Howling house? Why? <laughs> now, a boy scout, a tag-along, a doormat, and a delinquent will dare to spend the night in the most haunted estate in Arkham. Will they survive to see the sunrise? Or will they succumb to the hunger of Howling House? You're going to die tonight. What is that thing? Is this, is this the witch's library? I'm gonna kill you! Not tonight! Roger, make him stop! No! You watch! Run away, little ones. I'm so hungry. Listen to the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program's award-winning season, Night at Howling House. The complete story, available everywhere you listen to podcasts, and at CthulhuMystery.com. All the, all the outs and free, all the outs and free. <laughs>